for a season that's been suspended, there seems to be a hell of a lot to talk about in Australian football right now. We've got some special guests to discuss exactly that. Welcome to the new FTBL U0 podcast. We've got a special this week. We've got the band back together again. <laughs> we've got uh, Edo in Melbourne, and we've got special guest Andy Jackson in Singapore joining us. Uh, Hello. How you doing, guys? I'm good. I'm good, yeah. Good. good. Um, good. I, f- I feel, actually, I'm probably in the wrong seat here because both of you guys were actually the hosts, and I was the guest previously. Uh, so yeah, we've all played musical chairs in the intro. Tables, tables turned, Kev. Really doing it admirably. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a, not a job I like actually. I just like mouthing off personally, but uh, I'm going to have to start asking questions again. Um, so uh, Jack, will give us an update of what you're doing over in Singapore. So I'm uh, obviously I left four four two after the World Cup, um, so I was back in the UK for a year. Um, left left Asia, went back to the UK for a year, and then uh, when when Haymarket sold four four two to Future um, Publishing as part of a bigger deal that included all of the the consumer titles, you know, Future made it pretty clear that they were really only interested in the UK um, and were looking to do sort of everything else through through licensing, which was which was fine, you know, that's their prerogative, but really wasn't for me so you know it was all very amicable I just agreed that once I transitioned the team over I'd, I'd leave after the World Cup so that's what I did and then looked around and uh, obviously there was a well-trodden path from 442 to perform as was then um, so there were five ex-442ers when I joined I was the sixth um, and it was back in Singapore so we my wife was very happy to come back. Um, we still had a couple of boxes that hadn't been unpacked in the spare bedroom. <laughs> and so you managed to bring the dogs over with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they got, we all got back on the plane and we're, we're, we're back in Singapore 13 months to the day since we left. So, um, so yes, I worked for Dazone, as is now. Um, Dazen, as I like at, to call it. Yeah, as I joined, <laughs> we, we sort of rebranded all the consumer-facing business from, from what was perform media, design and goal studios, which is the sort of agency business where we work with a lot of brands on their on their football activations, all became design, design media. So so I sit in Singapore but work across our whole sort of APAC business from Japan and, and Australia and Southeast Asia. And I just work in I, I head up the sort of strategy team, um, which is looking working with brands as to how we sort of monetize all of our assets, be that sort of broadcast inventory on OTT to gold.com, Sporting News in Australia, which you know, um, and all of our social channels. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's good, big job, um, uh, small team, big job. Uh, it's been great getting to grips with another market in Japan, which is, which is pretty unique, um, and also probably our, sort of our best market in terms of the spread of rights that we've got there. I mean, our business in Japan is a... It's pretty impressive, you know. And obviously, we, we did a, a huge deal to launch with J League, so we we had we have J League one, two, and three on a ten year deal um, in Japan. In Japan, yeah. You're broadcasting uh, the J League in Japan. Yeah, yeah. So if, I mean, Design is effectively the, the host broadcaster and has been for, for this. We're in season three or four. Um, 
Japanese we've networks got, must be delighted about that. Yeah, we've now got 10 of the 12 baseball teams, the local baseball teams, because the, the, the baseball is, is, is really weird in Japan. There's, like, there's one, the Central Division do a collective deal, uh, but the Pacific League, each individual team is in control of their own broadcast rights. Um, so you have to go and do an individual deal with each of them. Um, and with that comes the, their own sort of commercial restrictions and stuff like that. So it's very fragmented and, and a signal of what, how, what a nightmare football would be if the, the big clubs ever got their, their way and, and, wanted, and got that sort of set, that sort of set up. Uh, Football-wise, we have the Premier League exclusively, Champions League exclusive, Europa League exclusive, Serie A, La Liga, Eredivisie, Turkish Super League. Uh, we have Major League Baseball, NFL, F1. So it really is the, the, the one market where we where we live up to that Netflix of sport moniker. You so, know, I mean, NFL. you really are the full-on Fox Sports version? Uh, yeah, for, for but obviously with, without the pay TV, you know, without the linear channels, it is all, it is all OTT and, and on demand. So for 17.50 yen, which is about 11, 12 sing, uh, Aussie dollars, you get all of that. Um, That's pretty good. So yeah, yeah. So it's uh, certainly interesting, and, and getting experience on the broadcast side has been has been great. Yeah. So I mean, it, it leads us straight into the the, uh, the big sixty four <laughs> no, million no. dollar question: When are you buying the early grades? Nah, we, nah, nah, I'm going to flat back that one. Hey, it's it's, uh, it's not it's not my part of the business. I probably wouldn't know anyway. But um, I think right now, I mean, I mean, obviously we're. You know, frustratingly, we had just announced our launch of our global platform, including Australia. Um, and interestingly enough, it was supposed to have been last weekend, just gone, which was uh, Cinco de Mayo weekend um, and traditionally the biggest boxing weekend um, in the world every year when, when Canelo, who we've, we've got signed exclusively, um, always fights in, in Vegas on Cinco de Mayo weekend. And, and that was going to be the event which we launched globally. So having incredibly kept it under wraps for 18 months, this global <laughs> launch, we then announced it seven weeks ago, just as coronavirus curtailed everything. <laughs> so now everyone knows what exactly what we're doing and what our plans are, which is a little frustrating, but more frustrating was we didn't get to do it. Um, so look, I think, you know, we, we announced that there's going to be 200 more markets. Um, we built a global product. Um, up until that point, it had been a, it had been a product for each market. Um, so since I joined, I've been working on this global product that then allows obviously much quicker speed to market. Uh, it was going to be primarily around our fight sports because obviously the deals that we've done in boxing, uh, by and large are global. So the, the, the 350 million that we pay Canelo um, buys you global rights. That's where boxing is, is appealing and different to football or you know or any other sport is that because there are no governing bodies per se, obviously you've got the, the, the boxing you know associations, WBA, WBC, but they don't control broadcast rights. So when you go in and do a deal with a boxer like Canelo, you can you get global rights. So what that means is that for very limited additional investment from us, we, we could, you know, be genuinely the first global um, OTT sports broadcaster, which which was a frustrating thing because, you know, it would have been a fight of that magnitude on Saturday night or Sunday lunchtime, our time, going out in 200 plus markets, which would have been the first time ever that, 
an event that big would have gone out on one broadcaster simultaneously around the world, which, you know, so, so yeah, so Australia um, is part of that launch, but it will be our fight sports, you know, so that's Anthony Joshua, it's Canelo, it's Katie Taylor, and it's, it's an incredible lineup of, of, of boxing. Obviously, Australia has a lot of pedigree in boxing and, and a big audience there, so, but, you know, no real plans beyond that at the moment. Right now, all we're worried about is when the stuff that we have got the rights for is going to come back. You know, but I mean, if the uh, the league was to be going cheap, is it something you might be tempted? No, not not my part of the business. I'm not <laughs> comment on that. I'm not commenting on that. <laughs> be a golden opportunity to make a, a splash in Australia, though. Yeah, I think I think the boxing will be a big enough splash for us for now. <laughs> Can't be drawn then, eh? But I'm yeah. just watching. I'm just watching the here. I'm just watching how Jack is very skillfully not answering this question. But that's fair enough. The, there's a denial there that isn't a denial. I think that that's the key. No, thing. no, no. <laughs> genuinely, uh, I would not be party to those discussions. Exactly. If, so if, it, if it, they were happening or not, so. it's not my call. So I'm not going to comment. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Ada, what yeah, about right. yourself? What have you been up to? Uh, You've been ar- around the world a bit since we last uh, had you in yeah, the podcast. Yeah. Like Jacko, I, I joined Perform from 442 back in 2014, just before the World Cup. was the managing editor of Perform's uh, partnership with the FFA. So I did that for four years, working with the FFA through the relaunch of their digital transformation across the business. So did that for four years. Um, then joined uh, MacArthur for their bid in 2018. Got that through with a really good team, then went to live in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, I was based there for a while, came back here, and, uh, yeah, as you do, it's a great place. I mean, I love Southeast Asia. I'm sure sure Jacko has got the similar view. I love the life over there. So Good curry. uh, Yeah, I work for the the, – yeah, yeah, you know that. You know that yourself. (laughs) I've been waiting for you to come over. Um, And then work for Western United. Uh, which is Lou Sticker's sort of operation here in Melbourne. Um, and I did that for the first season, uh, which just finished, obviously, with the, with the Rona, where we're all the doing Rona. different things now. So uh, I'm, back, I'm back at my original club for a third stint under, <laughs> under the second boss. I've had two bosses, Jacko and yourself. That's true. So uh, yeah. it's all good. Yeah. And um, how are you coping under Corona conditions? Oh, fine. I'm fine. Yep. Yeah, for, I mean, for us, we're, we're sort of in, uh, I think, I think not dissimilar to, to Australia. I mean, we're, we're sort of in sort of what I call probably semi-lockdown in that, you know, um, essential services are still open, supermarkets and stuff like that, but they're, they're limiting the amount of people that are in there. Um, you can still go out and exercise, but it's, you know, you have to wear a mask at all times if you're outside now, which I think will probably stay. Um, once things open up again, you know, um, they're slightly, slightly, uh, relaxing things as of today and next Tuesday. So things that had been shut. So hairdressers, barbers, pet stores, you know, are allowed to open again. So slowly they're sort of taking the, the shackles off, but I think it'll be a fair, time before we're back on public transport and going to the office you know I, th- I think that we're probably still a few months away from that but yeah, I think you know it, it, it's been okay I mean I, I miss I miss being in an office you know I miss having a bit you know having a chat with people and um, but the technology's there 
you know, to work efficiently. Um, I just, more than anything, I'm missing sport. Got to be honest. <laughs> not, not just because we work in it, but because what I've, what I've sort of realised from being off is, is it, it, it's constantly like that bit between Christmas and New Year where you lose track of what day it is, you know, and even though you're sort of working and everything rolls into one. And it made me realise that I actually mark the passing of time by sporting events rather than by the calendar. Because it's like, right, what day is it? What's happening tonight? Oh, it's Champions League. Oh, it's the middle of the week, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just crazy. It's like I'm just completely lost without it. It's true. I mean, I'm in danger of actually going to bed at a normal time for a change, which is very (laughs) unusual for me. Um. Talking of uh, you know things getting back to normal, obviously the A League shut down um, fairly promptly after the shutdowns were happening elsewhere. We've still got five weeks left of the uh, the normal season to go. Um, there seems to be a move where uh, clubs are going to go back into training in July with a, an August kickoff. Do you think that's uh, a worthwhile timetable, a likely timetable for them? Yeah, look, I mean, I, th- I think July is still, you know, we're still two months away. I think that, and certainly in Australia, which which seems to have, uh, have sort of, you know, got it under control. You know, as you say, as we were talking about earlier, Kevin, I think the challenge is that people don't get complacent and when the restrictions are, are, are lifted, just go nuts, you know, because then you get a second wave and everything gets pushed back. You know, I, I think, I think, you know, whilst we'd all love to see sport get back, you know, I think, the moment particularly in Europe where people are still dying in big numbers you know it's tough to to, to say we need 40,000 coronavirus tests to finish the, the Premier League season you know when there are still people on the front line of the NHS not able to get tested I think that's that's tough you know and um, you know we've sort of seen that in Germany where um, you know there was a quite mixed reaction um, to the Bundesliga trying to restart so soon you know obviously there was Quite a few fans that were delighted, but there was there was quite a lot of negative sentiment that we picked up on on social media where fans were like, "This is too soon, guys. You know, this isn't this isn't good." So I think you've got to, you've got to play that that practical balance. You know, like can we keep players safe? You know, because the challenge is, I think the Bundesliga put the number out that said even even for a game behind closed doors, it's three hundred and twenty people in the stadium. Yep. You know, and every single one of those, you know, if one of those people tests positive, those 320 people are out of action for the next 14 days. And you've got the from, knock-on effect of 320 from the, from people. The from the cameraman to the security guy to every player, yeah. you know, and it's like, you, you can you can do the best modelling and come up with the best plan, but, but you know, I think it was like three Cologne players when they returned to training tested positive. Yeah. I so, think- I think... It's tough. It yeah. seems as if the EPLs, any plans for the EPL to go back to normal within Britain seems insane at the moment, to be honest. Any attempt for yeah. Britain to go back to normal seems insane at the moment. Yeah, um, and, I, and I, I, cer- I certainly buy into, I, I think that, and not just because I'm a Villa fan and we, we're currently in the relegation zone, but <laughs> I do think, but. I do, I do think that you, you, you have to, even if, even if you end up playing next season, with a completely different, you know, format. I think you have to finish this season because there's so much at stake, you know, um, not in the A-League, of course, because no one's going to get relegated. Um, but in the Premier League, you know, there is so much money at stake. that, And, you know, Villa, we've still got ten, nine games left. 
and we were we were game in hand and if we win that game in hand we're out of the relegation zone you know so you'd rather go into next season and say do you know what we're going to play one round and it's going to be drawn out of the hat it's going to be luck of the draw you'll play you know half you'll play like 10 games at home or nine games away but at least everyone kicks off game one knowing what the rules are yeah. you know yeah. and and you have to go for it you can't you know if a team has planned for a 38 game season and then you call time after 29 games they would they would genuinely have you know a rightful grievance whereas if you start the next season even if that's in january and you go it's 19 games it's a sprint <laughs> yeah then everyone knows the rules yeah you know um so i th- i think you know wherever possible you try and finish the season that's in play um, retain some integrity on that then have a fight about what next season looks like and when you start that even um, if it's an abbreviated future season yeah and you know, the good thing is is that you know they're going to be able to roll pretty much straight into it when you come back because they've just had the longest break they've probably ever had as a professional player you know yeah. but certainly by the time they play so you could probably like have a a couple of weeks you know in between the, the end of this season and the next season starting so yeah. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer that not, as I say, not just because I'm a Villa fan, but finish the season <laughs> in play first and then worry about next season. I think the uh, the main concern, Edo, would be with the A-League that uh, when the season does restart, there may not be 11 clubs there to finish that season. Uh, seven clubs have obviously stood all the players and staff down. Uh, at, well, most of the, the staff. And... Um, the jungle drums are suggesting that three, maybe even four of them, may not survive this crisis, depending on how long it goes on for. Um, what's your feelings about that, Ada? I mean, the biggest problem with the A League is that these clubs, apart from say victory, they're not really capitalised very well. So any issues, any earthquakes like this, you know, you're dealing with very fragile organisations financially. So yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't know each club's situation, but. Um, Whilst it is a parlous situation, I still think it's an opportunity for us to maybe uh, realign the calendar because this has been a, a conversation we've ha- been having for quite a while. And I still think August 1 is too soon, particularly with the deaths in Victoria, the, the cluster that's happened recently. So it feels too soon for July 1 to be starting to train um, and, and, all of the, and all of the infrastructure around that needs to happen. Um, I, I'm a fan of delaying it till October, November to finish the season. I agree with Jacko. I think we need to finish the season so Sydney FC can be rightfully called the champions, of course, and the Champions League places are defined. But it's a good opportunity to maybe play it later in the season, have a short break over Christmas and then do a pre-season and then perhaps realign the calendar for Asia from March to November. I, I think, you know, that brings us into the, the question of doing a massive reset altogether of Australian yeah. football. Was and, and, and was there ever a better time to do it as now? Because the game was really, really struggling. Rob Sherman did make the point, though, that the people that would be the leaders in trying to define what that new reset should t- look like, uh, what shape it should look, uh, what shape it should be, they've all been stood down. <laughs> they're not there to make yeah. these kind of goals. Uh, So, you know, we stand a very good chance of missing that window altogether. And I I think the key key here is what we reported on last week with this golden generation uh, panel that's been uh, that's been brought on. They need they need 
the need powers to make decisions. At the moment, it does appear to be a think tank and not an actual subcommittee of the FFA board. So I think they were brought on board to come up with those ideas, but they need the authority to implement those ideas. I, I, I'm still... If, in, I, if indeed they're good enough to, to come yeah. up with I, I'm yeah. a little bit cynical about that committee, the, the, the think tank. It looks to me like it was a reaction to the, the repeated constant calls of the last couple of weeks to bring people like Voduka in. I'm still, I think they've got a place and they've got, they've got input and they've got experience and opinions to give, but I'm still not altogether convinced that they're necessarily the best people to, to draw up the blueprint for the future. And I'm not necessarily convinced that they're going to be listened to beyond what have you got to say? Right, fine, thanks. And then the kind of conversation goes off with the federations, with the board members, with the Congress, all over again. Do you think? And of course, and of course, a lot of those decisions are inextricably linked to a TD as well. Jackie, you'd probably agree with that. That a TD needs to be aligned to any decision from that kind of think tank, which is being brought in for the technical reasons. Yeah, and also, I think you know, the, the NSL was the NSL. You know, the NSL didn't have the A League. It was it was of its time. You know, that golden generation, by and large, came through the AIS, you know, and, and unless you're going to go back to that, you, you, you're going to struggle to replicate that. It's about looking at what we've got now, well, you know, and, and what's possible. One other thing about that, sorry to butt in, one other yeah. thing about that, though, that I think people seem to overlook and miss, though, is that golden generation came through their crucial maturing periods when there was no A-League or NSL. They were all shipped off. They all had to go off overseas because there was no professional football for a few years in Australia. And I, I, or, or for guys like Viduka, they got a, a debut at 17 and 18 and then went overseas. Yeah. Uh, because, but, of course, yeah, why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, there was that, that crucial period where there was no professional football. And uh, that seemed to be where a lot of the golden generation were honed in the fires of uh, European football. Uh, and, and we, we benefited from that. I've always said that the A-League is probably the worst thing that ever happened to the Socceroos pathway. Because it, it, it did give, it, it's the best thing that happened to professional footballers in Australia in that it gave them a career. It gave them somewhere to come back to that they could, you know, have a, a, a decent living. But in terms of necessarily generating the next generation quickly, I think we would be better off without anything myself. Or a better model. Or a better model, yes, definitely. Which yeah. I mean, we we talked, we used to talk about this ages ago, you know, when we we're doing four for two, and you know, it's like it, it's like for for the soccerees to be successful, you know, the best players can't be playing in the A League. Yeah, you know, and, and it's almost that conundrum between you want to be seeing the best possible football domestically, but for the national team to be successful, your best players have to go and play at a higher standard, you know, and it's that, and it takes, a, you know, quite an, un, you know, a, a knowledgeable and understanding fan base to, to accept that they're watching a development league, you know, arguably, but, and then, but then the challenge comes is when the clubs don't see it as that and are packing their roster with 30 plus year old players and, and lots of, you know, so they're not buying into the fact. So, so there's a mismatch between clubs are going, well, well, we want to win the league. Yeah. We're not, we're not necessarily here to, to set up the soccer rules. The, the best players have been challenged to go overseas and there's just no real alignment between 
clubs, players, the FFA, the technical director, and, and it just feels like, I don't know, it just feels like a bit of a mess. At the I mean, how often have we, yeah. we said that over the years? You know? yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I think, yeah. you know, Graham Arnold, when he was at Sydney, the first season he was at Sydney, he tried to bring young players through and didn't get success. And the second season, he said, we're not a development club. We've got to, you know, play to win. And that's when he started hiring much older players and got the success he was looking for. Uh, but at the other end, you've got Central Coast Mariners who are trying to bring through younger players purely for financial reasons with a terrible, terrible record as a result, uh, apart from the, the Arnie years and Laurie's uh, successful stint. So if you put the A-League up against going overseas early, we have two players in the Premier League. Moy, who got his debut at whatever age at Wanderers, and Matty Ryan, who got his debut at the Mariners at age 18. Those are two examples of the A-League providing players who can go on. That's but I feel that, to, to be fair, though, I know Aaron Moy had been at Bolton before he came back and played for, for and Western Sydney, hadn't he? And, and St. St. Mirren, yeah. <laughs> so he'd already been to Europe and come back by the time he played in the A-League. You know, he was um, finessed and, in the early ground. And also, yeah, fi- <laughs> finessed and St. Mirren. Um, yeah, right. I'm sure he'd say exactly the same thing. Definitely. Uh, but also, I think, you know, as we were talking about on the financial side of things, is we still we still don't have an A-League team that, that has really any assets. You know, and that's the challenge. Is, you know, Western, you know, Western United were going to be that. I don't know. I mean, what... The talk of their stadium seems to have died off a bit. Ado, you were there. I mean, where, is that still happening? Is well, I no longer work for the club, so I don't know what's yeah. going on. But uh, it was due to be announced in early July, I believe, that the stadium would, the first sod would sort of be planned for the later in the year. But uh, who knows with the current situation? But I mean, the stadium was a great idea, and it still is. Oh, they, yeah, they, they, they own the precinct. They own everything around. Oh, no, no, I mean, that's, that's what I mean. it's a great idea, but is it, is it actually going to happen? Is it actually going to fruition? Because that was going to be a game changer, you know, to have an yeah. A-League club that was financially independently yeah. successful and, and could, you know, where broadcast rights and broadcast payments become the sort of cherry on the top Charity, rather yeah. than the, the, the main source of revenue. Yeah, and it's such a it's a growth part of the world as well. So that area that they're building the stadium will have a lot of people. So um, I hope that it happens. Archie Fraser was also making the point that you know, given the the current crisis, given the doubt over Fox Sports' future involvement with the the A League and the the income that that provides, um, virtually the only asset that any of the clubs had was the license. That was something sure. tangible that they could sell. And that the value of that has all but diminished, uh, disappeared yeah. as a result. Um, he also then raised serious doubts, having been CEO of MacArthur, uh, that MacArthur would continue to pursue their spot in the A-League. Because as far as he was concerned, look, why would you continue to make a payment on your license when the license may not have any value anymore? When the well, and, and also, when, when your biggest revenue stream has just been... You know, is is now severely in doubt. Yeah. You know. So I mean, you lose, you're losing your twelfth team already. Um, Central Coast Mariners, there is gossip, possibly completely unfounded, that they are now going to make another push to move to North Sydney uh, to try and survive. But if they don't do that, 
and they don't have control of Gosford's uh, Central Coast Stadium yet. Um, you've got to have doubts over their continued existence. I mean, would you argue, okay, to your point, though, that, that the license is now arguably not worth the paper it's written on, that now is the time to potentially do a Division 1 and 2 in one fell swoop? Yeah. Because, because the A-League clubs largely have got nothing to lose anymore. What are they trying to ring fence? Yeah. I think you the know, only sensible solution arguably, would be to, to bring in existing heritage clubs and uh, exactly, spread it into a second you know, division yeah. as well. And, and then Because arguably, if you're, let's say, looking at someone like an Optus as, as the obvious, um, if you're then going with something new and fresh... Oh that genuinely has something that the other Australians' codes don't have, which is which is promotion and relegation. All of a sudden, you are creating something that is different. You're creating something that's new. You're creating something that every game matters. You know, and that, that's always been the problem. You know, it's like, okay, we're going to play the rest of the season. Why to fight to crown Sydney-worthy champions? But that's all that's going to be decided. You know, yeah. whereas if... Yeah. yeah, you look at the Premier League, the reason why it's still so, people are still so interested, there's still, you know, seven or eight teams that could get relegated, yeah. you know, and, and that, that matters, you know, and I think that had, adding that competitive tension to the A-League will get better <laughs> results, it will get it will get more interest, it will be more exciting at both ends of the table, it will create massive, you know, and also stories, you know, the teams that come up, come down, come back up again, yeah. You then create a lot more, you know, like history and heritage for people to grab onto. You know, whereas at the moment it's like you know, we, we won the wood, we got the wooden spoon. Well, bothered. You know, yeah, I mean, it's like, and that, now is now's the time to do it when when the when the clubs are really don't have anything to lose anymore. You know? And to, to that point, Jacko, if if the calendar is aligned to March to November, that perfectly uh, puts you into the ability to have. A second division and the first division from March to November because of the the NPL calendar. And I mean, who wouldn't want to watch a relegation playoff between the bottom two and the top two of the two divisions at the end of a season? Who wouldn't yeah. want to see those games? Well, there's, you know, there's, there's, and it, it is fresh. It's fresh still, idea. You know, there's still plenty of leagues that, that decide relegation spots by a playoff between the team in the top division and the yeah. top teams in the, the, the division below. It's, but it's about giving them that chance, you know. If you know, you could potentially have a four-team playoff at the end of the season with the bottom two in the A League and the top two in the second division, and it could end up that the two A League teams both stay up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, you know, so it's, but but you're giving the opportunity for a well-run team, yeah, to get a top a seat at the top table. I mean, the format can be decided, you know. But yeah. I think now is the perfect time to do it. And you would also yeah, be interested in teams with actual assets like stadiums and uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hospitality that they can catering that they can profit from, and also the, the the biggest issue with that was that if if you were the best MPL team or team outside of the A League, you finish a season in September, the A League kicks off in October. There's not enough time to switch over into becoming an A League club. Whereas if it's all aligned, you play at the end of the season, you have the relegation uh, matches at the end of the season, then you play the next season in the A League. So it's aligned. Yeah, and also, I mean, like, 15 years in, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's like this whole needing clean air before the AFL and the NRL start. Like, we passed that, surely. You know, does anyone think it's a factor anymore? And has it you ever know? actually benefited us? No, no, probably not. No. <laughs> 
I mean, that's the bottom um, line. We've never even used it. it. We we never used the advertising time space that was available to us. We never got any boost from it whatsoever. I, th- I think pre-Big Bash, there was a little bit of space here and there, but right now, there's no clean air in summer, and it's too hot as well. I think the only consideration is the clash with venues, uh, with the yeah. NRL, uh, which may give us cause for concern. Yeah, which, which again, is a, is a problem of their own making, because they've been quite happy being tenants for 15 years and, and done nothing about it. You know? yeah. But by the same token, we have been trying to shoehorn tiny crowds into big stadiums for the sake of appearances. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you know, yeah. again, it's a, it's a circuit breaker where we could yeah. more focus on boutique stadiums and focus yeah. on you know more suburban grounds and get the enthusiasm, get the passion back in the stands and make it look busy. Yeah, I mean, you'd sort, you'd sort of think that surely, like, you know, Sydney FC and Western Sydney between them um, could create a roster of, of stadiums, of suburban NRL, you know, stadiums and football stadiums that they could play at over the course of a season and, and run that, you know, you know, intertwined with the with the NRL. You know, that, that, surely that can't be too difficult to do, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 you know, I just think... Surely now, again, now is the time to to just give up the ghost of. There are no casual fans, you know. Focus on the two million people that play football and love football. We've, been, we've yeah. said that. I think ignore the theatre goers and just concentrate. Stop, on those yeah, stop, stop. Don't don't look outside your, your your heartland, you know. And align the calendar. Do what every other developed football market in the world does. Give create a proper pyramid. The, the, the player pathways will then align and follow that, you know, it's like, and I think just, as we said, now when there's so little to lose now, now's the time to do it. Yeah. Given, given that we've had two years of the new look FFA following the Bordrum coup, do you think the FFA, the new look FFA is able to come up with kind of radical decisions like that and moves like that? Because I think largely there's a feeling of disappointment so far in what they've achieved. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys would be much better placed to comment on that than me. I, I, I'm a sort of very casual observer these days and not really up to date with the sort of daily stuff. But to be honest, eh, if, if we consider mirroring what has been successful in any other sort of even half-developed football nation as radical, we're, we're in trouble. You know, it's like, it's like, this ain't radical. It's like, yeah, making, making your football played at the same time, creating a pyramid, creating promotion and relegation so a team at the bottom can get to the top league and vice versa. That, that ain't radical. That's, the, that's normal. You know? <laughs> Jacko, when are you coming over here to run the game here? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'd love to. Love to have a crack at it. But, Technical director's yeah. job's going. Oh, mate, no, not with my dodgy knees. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do miss it, though. I do miss it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the thing is, you know, is that just the profile as well. I mean, you know, I haven't been in Asia now for seven years, you know, the A-League's on, but it doesn't really resonate outside of Australia. No, it doesn't even resonate within Australia. And also, oh, the, the challenge is as well is that you know, the one competition that, that, that the A League teams have the chance to sort of show where, where they're ranked in, in the Asian Champions League, they tend to fall short for you know, a variety of reasons. Um, 
So yeah, it's it's a shame, you know. And that, that, and that and to the point of aligning the calendar, the Asian Champions League will be so much easier for our teams to progress through um, because we're we're playing in the middle of the year. I mean, we always struggled at the that point where we go through the to the knockout stages. So again, it just makes sense. And hopefully, uh, you know, team players would still be under contract for the Champions League yeah. season. Yeah, so the team that actually yeah. goes Wins. into the Champions League bears some resemblance to the team that won, won. the Champions League. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of being ravaged. Edo, you know uh, James Johnson probably of old. Do you think he's the man to uh, bring in to completely reshape the face of Australian football? Uh, he's done a really good job. Uh, I really like him. But I think we all know there are so many structural issues in the game that hold development back. So we need to we need to help people like that be able to do what they need to do. At the moment, there are so many. Uh, Jackie, you would be through business. You know, there's so many administrative barriers to the game growing um, that it's very difficult within that small pocket of power that he would have to be able to actually make real change. But he's done a really good job thus far. Everybody who seems to have had a connection with the bureaucracy of the FFA, they all seem to come away with the same view that we need to get rid of the federations. But that would require the federations voting themselves out of existence. Do you ever see that actually happening? Do you think there's a need for it? Well, it depends on what the remit is. Well, sorry, Jackie, are you going to say? No, no, no. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the legislation would be for that to happen. But, I mean, certainly it... it seems to be a logical step you know it seems to be a layer of bureaucracy that the for the size of football market that we're talking doesn't need to be there and always leaves itself open to to vested interests and political voting on on what are key issues for the game you know to have a sort of top to bottom while we're talking about it a, a proper top to bottom would, would, would seem to make sense but i don't i don't know what the the legislation to make that happen looks like, you know. Take, I think it would take. It doesn't a vote, look very Congress good. Vote and, uh, yeah, I mean, if you, you know, if, if if football was a business, you know, if you looked at football as a, as a company in Australia, you know, very few businesses would succeed with a structure like that. You know, um, and generally, you know, most successful businesses have somebody at, at the top that is a visionary and, and sells the dream and, and has that, that aura and that energy to pull people along with them. Um, and that's what it needs. You know, you, you know, you look at someone like a Steve Jobs and like that, you know, you people that worked with him, most of them couldn't stand him, hated him, but just, just saw his vision and bought into it. And, you know, and it's, it wasn't about sort of like, what am I being paid? What are the hours? It's about, I believe in this mission and I want to make this happen. You know, created that alternative reality where he used to put people under so much pressure to deliver but they did it you know because they bought into it and i think the way there's you know to do something radical often needs that it needs someone at the front just leading from the front and convincing people that they can do something that previously they thought they couldn't um, and, and, and i think craig foster was potentially going to be that person but um, i think he saw the the obstacles were too large from a structural point of view but also, to, to your point, Kev, about federations, it's not the end of a federation just because they change the structure of voting. They'll still do what they do. They'll still produce players. They'll still have their own versions of what, what the national game does. But it's just a voting, it's just a voting structure that perhaps is getting in the way. 
Yeah, I, th I think also, you know, it's it's there's been calls to change the federations from being a powerhouse governing body structure to just being more of a regional office of the FFA. Uh, and it would be a more streamlined operation and cut the costs, uh, which you would hope would uh, reduce the costs to the grassroots as well, which is where a lot of the, uh, the bad feedback about the FFA seems to come from, even though they aren't actually responsible for most of the costs. Yeah, and, so, and certainly that sort of setup lends itself better to to commercialisation of the assets, and certainly makes it easier. You know, so if you're looking at trying to drive sponsorship revenues from grassroots football, um, it certainly makes it easier if you can put everything on one page for somebody. Whereas at the moment, you probably need to go to the individual federations, get their buy-in, make sure it doesn't clash with any other small sponsorship deal that they might have tucked away in a particular corner. So if you're actually looking at then building an asset, football as an asset, um, as a national asset, you know, that would certainly make it a lot easier because I'd imagine it's quite tough to do those sort of deals at the moment because you've got Football New South Wales going and doing their own deals, you've got Football Victoria doing their own deals and and often then you're at odds because if the FFA are trying to do a grassroots sponsorship deal, um, there might be a conflicting sponsor already in place in one of the federations that stops it being a national proposition, you know. Talking of commercialisation, just going back again to uh, Fox Sports, if they do pull the plug, as it seems more and more likely that they're going to, do you see anybody else coming in? And if not, how what what, what happens to the league and TV? I don't know. Genuinely, don't know. I don't know who would be the who would be the option. I mean, the obvious one would be Optus, right? To to have complete ownership of football, but. I guess if you if you're Optus, you'd be looking and think, well, do we actually need it? When you know, I, I, because because you're not just looking at the broadcaster, you, you you're looking at the actual production. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, any they would have to basically hire NEP to do what they do for Fox, yeah, which is not cheap. And any time I've spoken to Optus, they've said that they might be interested further down the line. But at the moment, it needs free to air. It needs the kind of free to air coverage that football would get to develop the sport, to bring it up. And then once it's at that kind of saturation point within the uh, the uh, the interest of Australia, then they might be interested. But at the moment, yeah. it would be bad for the sport, they reckon, for it to be on Optus, because yeah. it would be more, well, look, I mean, more I mean, marginalised. The other option is, you know, they do it themselves. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the technology exists for them to to create their own OTT product, you know, uh, and if the clubs are all now shareholders of the independent A-League and, you know, if the broadcast deal was the one thing stopping that being properly rolled out, if that's no longer there, then the other option is they, they look at being the first sort of self, self-broadcasting self code. How, mu how um, much would you pay a month to watch the A-League? I don't know if I was still there. If I was still there and I was a, and I was a proper football fan, I'd, I'd be happy to pay twenty twenty five bucks a month. Yeah, Edo. because because I because I also think if, if they were to do that, I think there would be an appreciation from fans that this was it. You know, this is the life and death of football in this country, and that the FFA were at least doing something proactive. And um, you know, and if if that also then included the MPL games being streamed into there, and which is which they're doing at the moment, they're streaming games on social media. That all flowed into one platform. 
So, you know, it, and it, it becomes more of a, a whole of football subscription. Yeah. You know, I, I, think, I think people would back that because I think people would appreciate that the money was going into genuinely to, 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 for the survival of Australian football as opposed to being just another sport on Fox Sports. I think you're right. You know, I, mean, um, I think if there was a second division, if there was a first division and second division and the NPLs even below that and it was all getting broadcast for you 25 bucks, that'd be a bargain. That'd be so yeah. much football to be able to watch. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're chucking the FFA Cup games as well yeah. into one package, 15 bucks a month. Yeah? Yeah. You know, and potentially, you know, potentially you're, you know, you're closer to Optus than me, if that's Optus's view. Potentially Optus come in as a sponsor and maybe help out with some of the tech, you know, with a view to, okay, when this gets a critical mass, then we potentially look at putting it alongside the Premier League and the Champions League. But but for now, we'll come in as a sponsor and help with some of the technology costs and stuff like that. That could be a way to do it. Yeah. But I just think, you know, I think, again, as with the league, I think they now need to look at a radical solution from a monetization and commercialization perspective. Um, but the benefit of that, obviously, from, a, from, a, from an FFA perspective, is, is that direct relationship with the consumer. And they, they have that already. You know, they have a database of 2 million people. You know, it's like, it, it, it's create your own products and sell it to them. Yeah. You know, um, they, like I say, now, now's the time for, for brave and brave decisions. <laughs> and but, it, but also, it's like necessities of buff invention. There might not be another choice. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I guess if, you, if you're paying your registration fees, you know where that money's going because that's ultimately going to the same product that you're watching on TV. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you know, if you looked at, if you looked at, yeah, you know, using some of the or, or your senior players paying slightly more on a registration fee, but you get this as a family for your home. You get this subscription. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a number of ways that you could monetize it, but I think part of it at the moment is just making that brave call and go, "We're going to do it." You know, but as you say, what's the option? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the main the main cost is NEP. Because they provide the the actual structure around your broadcast. But yeah, there are now sort of, um, there's quite advanced AI broadcast production teams that uh, you put up a few cameras around the the uh, on flagpoles around the ground, and AI can actually zoom in and focus on the action as it's happening, and instinctively knows what the right camera shot should be. So you can do a lot of it for a lot less these days. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we use an AI-driven uh, um, clipping and, and tool called WSC, and it, it's phenomenal. It started, it started in basketball, and um, so we use that, and you, you set up rules, um, and you can set up rules based around a particular game and, you know, geo-targeting. So when we have Champions League in Southeast Asia, we can set a rule that says, you know, do me a four-minute highlights clip of Liverpool PSG, send it to our Facebook page with these geo-targeted on, you know, put this sponsorship bumper in front of it. And within 15 minutes of the game finished, it does it. And it's AI, AI picks up and then the, the machine learning is what has ingested so many live games of football that it knows what is a, a, a goal, or, you know, a, a good chance, a good save. And, and so then you can, then you can create so we could do like the 10 best saves in the Champions League that week. And we just put a rule in and it does it. There's no editor 
no editor required, nothing. It's just so once you've got the feed, you know, there are tools out there where you can create editorialized content and highlights and clips to a calendar without needing huge numbers of editorial staff. You know, we, we're doing it with like, you know, one or two people in Southeast Asia. Jeez. You know, we, that last year in the Champions League, I think we created, we did, a, we did highlights of every Euro, Europa League game and every Champions League game. So I think that was probably about 320 games. And we did over a, a hundred um, individual editorialized clips in non-match weeks. We did 120 million uh, views across Southeast Asia, you know, and for the cost of a subscription to this, this product, you know, so... Is that so super expensive you, product? Just out of curiosity. Uh, do you know what? Mate? Do you know what? I don't know. I don't know what the cost is, but it's, it's not. I don't, I don't think it's extortionate. Yeah. Um, but the, but the, the, the flexibility of it is amazing, you know. So once you've built that, you can build a, you know, a, a, a plan around content quite, quite easily that can click content and push it out. Yeah. You know? So I think... I mean, they've got to look at it. I think we've got to leave it there, unfortunately, because uh, I know you've got a dash, Jacko. But that was yeah. fantastic getting your band back together. Again. No problem. I, I just say uh, I did. I did rock the uh, four four two. Yeah, I was going to say you can get yes, your merch I knew, we were, I knew we were speaking. So <laughs> I thought I'd, I thought I'd rock the old t-shirt for, for the good old days. <laughs> good to see you again, mate. Great. Good to see you too. Good to see you. Oh!